So if you have your Bibles, I've got three different spaces. Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and 1 Peter chapter 2, just bits of those. So reading from Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. Yahweh called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 to 9. Yahweh did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that Yahweh loves you and was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why Yahweh rescued you with such a strong hand from the slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand then, therefore, that Yahweh your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Good morning again, everybody. Just let you know, we're doing a tag team. That means Julie and I tag teaching this morning. So we've been doing it in a number of different ways. Have you noticed that we've done it in a few different ways? Yeah, sometimes we do it together. We sit on stools. We have a kind of a chat. Sometimes last week she went first, I went second. This week I'm first, she's second, you know. So so that's how it's going to work, all right? So you ready? Good. All right. Today we're talking about the battle for identity, and it's on the screen there, which is great. So the battle for identity, first of all, I have to say, what is identity? What do we mean by identity? Just whisper to the person next to you. Tell them, what is identity? Don't say, what is identity? Tell them what you think. What is identity? It's one of those things you kind of think you know, and then you have to put it into words, and you go, maybe I don't really know. What is identity? Is it your name on your passport? Is that your identity? Is it the address where you live? Is it the colour of your hair? What is it? What's identity? One of the things I like doing is thinking about questions that you think are obvious, but when you actually have to put it into words, you find it hard. Now, what I just did to you is something I did to myself, right? Because I said, if we're going to talk about identity, we we have to know what do we mean by identity? You can't just think everybody knows what it is. You can assume... People do, but maybe they don't. 
Here's some things that I thought about when I... So what do we mean by identity? That when we say there's a battle for identity. Now, if you think about it, your identity is the way that you think about or the way that you view yourself. The way you think about yourself, who you are, and the way that you view yourself. It's, it's uh, what you believe about yourself. It's what you value and it's what you strive for. That, that all forms part of this thing that we, I'm talking about as identity this morning. And it can also include what other people say about us as well. What, what they say and think that we are. That can be part of it as well. When our, uh, as, we, as we grow up and mature, our identity is sort of something we're trying to work it out. As we mature, we become more settled in it. That's really what should happen, but it doesn't always happen like that. And sometimes we can find that circumstances come into our life and disrupt our sense of identity, and we, we can kind of get lost as an adult and go, well, hang on, I thought this was who I am, but maybe I'm not that. Because one of the key things also about identity is that it determines what we do. It determines our behaviour. And so sometimes if, if there's a problem in our behaviour and we find ourselves doing things and saying things and that we think, well, that, I don't really want to do that, often the issue is actually something rooted in our identity. We've got something going on in our identity that's being manifested, it's being shown by our behaviour. Does that make sense? So when we say we've got a battle for identity, that's what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about there's a battle that goes on to actually work all this out. Um, But the battle element also includes this thing that, um, because some people say that our identity is provided for society, provided to us by the society that we live in for the benefit of that society. So in other words, identity is something that is put on us by the society that we live in, so that the society benefits. Now, there's kind of some stuff going on there. Um, but to say that identity is something that's simply or only what others put onto us, I don't think that's adequate. And, and part of what we've got going on, I think, in our culture at the moment is, is a lot of identity confusion where people are going... No, I, I want to throw off what society or what the norms say, what, what, what's been normal. And I want to throw all that off. And I want to demolish that. I actually want to crush it and break it down and start with a blank slate. I think there's a problem with that approach. Don't know if you do, but I'd, I'll just give you, I'll tell you what I think. The problem with the approach is. Uh, when you destroy something that exists without knowing what you're building, you can end up just as a blob. You end up with just great confusion because you've demolished what's there, saying it's all wrong rather than actually being able to discern and recognise actually it's a bit more nuanced than that. There are aspects of this that are good and healthy but there are also some things that, yep, we should jettison. 
we should get rid of. Now, what I'm wanting to do this morning in the time that's available to me before I hand over to Julie is to just engage with this from a biblical perspective. Because when we think about identity from a biblical perspective, we start with the question, what does God say about me? He created me. He knows me. What does he say about me? And who does God say that he wants me to become? As I'm growing up and maturing, who does God say that I'm to become? And so when we talk about battle, it's this battle that we have internally to accept and believe what God says about us and who God says we're to become. There's a lot of battle that goes on internally with, in, inside of us. It's this struggle to accept and believe what God says about me and find my security and identity in that. One of the things that identity does is uh, answer some of the questions and some of the needs that we have. And everybody has, uh, I'm going to simplify it down and say, every single person on the planet has three core needs in their soul. So I'm not thinking about physical appetites, not touching on dietary issues. I'm just in, inside, internally, we all have a need for acceptance to know that we are accepted we have a need for significance to know that my life actually matters and we have a need for security in the sense of uh, feeling secure in that place this is who I am and I don't have to wander around and wonder I'm actually secure about that. I'm, a, I'm confident about those things. And those three th- needs are at the core of every single person on the planet. And I think they're God-designed, and so do many other people. And so the question really is about where will I go to meet those needs? Where will I go to meet my need for acceptance? Where will I go? What will I look to to feed my need for security, to feed my need for significance? What will I do to be... Uh, to gain acceptance by people who I want to be accepted by. Do you know you don't want to be accepted by every single person? There are some people you don't give a rip about whether they accept you or not. And do you know one of the mysteries is that some of the people whose opinion, whose acceptance of us we should value, we devalue, and some of the people whose acceptance of us actually is worthless we give it high value. We get this all, we go, what the, like, why do I, and one of the things you want to go is, why do I care about what they are saying or thinking about me? Why do I care about that? That's a really good question to ask myself. Because remember, we're coming at this from a biblical perspective. We go, hang on, God says these things about me. Why do I care about this human opinion? God accepts me. God says I'm significant. God provides security. So, so I want to be anchored here. So why do I keep drifting over to this side? What humans are going. Now, the good news is this is not a new war for any of us. And this was Israel's war as well, this battle that, that was going on. And we're currently counting down the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. And this battle for identity is one of the key elements of their story. 
But we want, I want to sum it up in the three words that I've used on the slide this morning. They were chosen, they were treasured, and they were holy. Can you say those with me? Chosen, treasured, holy. Those three words. God chose them, God treasures them, and God marks them as his own by saying, I'm calling you to holiness. So those three things, they actually, I want you to think of it this way. They function as, as a unity. They are intertwined or indivisible. They're, they're three parts, but they all make up a complete thing. You can't have, you can't go, well, I'll just have the chosen bit. Thanks very much. I don't want, not interested in being treasured by God, and I'm certainly not interested in being holy. Forget that. Right? You could say, well, I just want the holy bit. I'll just be holy. I don't care whether I'm chosen. I don't care whether God treasures me. You can't do that. They work together. They work together like that in Israel's life. Let's quickly have a quick have a look at this. God speaks to them in Daniel uh, Deuteronomy seven verses seven to nine. We read that earlier this morning. Chosen, and he and God refers back to the choosing of them as a people. And he refers back and he says, "I didn't choose you because you're a great nation. I chose you because of my commitment to your to Abram. That's why." I started with one man, Abram, and I promised him uh, three things. I promised Abraham that I would make him a great nation. I promised him that I would give him land to live in in peace. And I promised that he would bless the whole world. And because I'm being faithful to my promise to Abraham, I'm choosing, I've chosen you now. You Because they are the descendants of Abram. They are the fruit. They're not yet a great nation by any set of imagination, because great means a number of things. It's not just a big number of people. It's great in the fullness of what that word means. Great. And all of this was God's choice. And this is, this is actually a place where we find our security because Jesus speaks the same thing to his disciples in John fifteen sixteen, And he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. This is the work of grace. Peter says it in 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people. He's speaking to the body of Christ. You're a chosen people. God did this. And so one of the wonderful things about finding my acceptance is being anchored in this is who God has chosen me. Not because I'm good looking, although I am. Not because I'm physically attractive, although I am. Not because I'm highly intelligent, although I am. None of those things. It's just that God decided to choose me. And God decided to choose you. You know? And the thing is, that this is so freeing because it doesn't rest on me or my performance. It rests on him and what he's done and what he's choosing. And he's choosing me. Next word is treasured. Exodus 19 verse 5, when God says, you see how I've brought you to myself. I chose you and you will be my treasured possession of all the peoples on the earth. Treasured, precious, special, the eternal, uncreated God treasures you. That ought to do something in your spirit. If you just sit and think about that, think deeply about it, what that means, that God treasures you. God likes you. 
And when we think about the cross of Christ, it's a place, it's a stake in the ground. Literally, the cross is a stake in the ground. That's what it was. But it's also this stake in the ground of this is how much I treasure you that I would lay down my life to redeem you, reconcile you to me. That's how valuable I decree that you are. That's why the gazing on the cross of Christ changes things. The third word is holy. In Leviticus 19, when God speaks to them, he he speaks to them as a nation and he says, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, we need to have a conversation about this because uh, people think, well, how can we, we think holy means morally pure? It means perfection. But in the pure sense of the word, holy just means different or set apart. So when God is calling a nation of people to be holy, to be his treasured, his chosen, treasured, set apart people to display him to the rest of the world. It means you are not common. You are not to behave in the way that all the other peoples do. That's not what you are because you belong to me, because I've redeemed you. I've brought you to my, I've chosen you. I've redeemed you and you belong to me. And I've set you apart to display my holiness. In some of the older Bible translations, I would, uh, used the word profane as the opposite of holy. Things were profane or things were holy. But you could also use the word uh, common or ordinary. So things were set apart as common and ordinary or they were set apart as holy. Perhaps you've got holy things in your house. Or perhaps your mum has or your dad has. Those things you only use on special occasions. When I was growing up, we had holy cutlery. We did. We had holy dinner plates. We had common ones that we used all the time. And we had holy ones, the ones that came out for special events. It's that kind of image that's going on here. And so when we, this is this thing of these three intertwined, interconnected, indivisible things of chosen, treasured and holy. And so when a disciple of Jesus conducts themselves no differently to other people, What we are doing is making God look common. And we're damaging God's reputation because people look at our behavior and go, their God's worthless. Look at how they're behaving. Their God means nothing. It's not worth anything. About 70 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. It would seem that our Lord finds out his eyes not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And his eyes are too weak. You see, if we're going to be satisfied with things that are less than what God has for us, our desire is too weak. We, today, if we were, I wonder if C.S. Lewis was writing today and I thought about this week, what, what he might say. And I, I thought he might say something like this. We're fooling about with pornography, with vaping, with drunkenness, illicit drugs, with popularity. We're fooling around with these things when infinite joy is offered to us. And we stay in that garbage heap 
Because we refuse to believe that God is worth loving and that he will satisfy the deepest needs of our lives. So the battle for identity is the most intense, I believe, around holiness, about actually embracing and walking it out, about what it means to live and function in the society in which we do, but at the same time be holy without being a weirdo. But some people will think we're weird anyway. Some people think you're weird because you're here on a Sunday morning rather than somewhere else. It's just like, but there are, there are weirdo stuff as well. It's not about being weird. It's about understanding and walking in our identity because we've actually settled the issue that we will find our acceptance, our significance and our security in the things that God says about being chosen, treasured and holy. There is a battle. All of us are probably in the battle in some way or other or we're parents who are helping our children in the battle or we're grandparents helping children and grandchildren in the battle but this battle that goes on will we walk in this identity that God has given to us will we find our acceptance our significance and our security in Christ and will we live as people who are chosen treasured and holy and I'm going to hand over to Julie now thanks Julie He said he was going to ask me a question. I'm going I was to ask like, you better question. ask it. <laughs> so I've come back to ask a question before I sit down. Otherwise, I could just talk about anything. Yeah. Okay. So, the, well, the question is that you've helped a lot of people fight this battle. And you've learned a lot from sitting and listening to people and talking with them and praying with them and ministering and seeing Jesus do, do things in them. And I think that everybody would benefit if you would share some of that wisdom with us. Okay. Yeah. What are, what are the essential things that people can do to help win this battle for identity, either for themselves and or for their children? Mm. Okay. That, Thanks, Wayne. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> What are the essential things? Do you know, I think at the core of it, the core of it all is being humble and honest before Jesus. Right? I've had a lot of um, opportunity to pray with people, pray with them for healing, pray with them um, for all kinds of things, um, seen many people delivered of bondages and and demonic spirits actually all, all kinds of situations and but you know at the core of it all is the need to humble ourselves even to humble our high and mighty knowledge or what we think we know of god you know what we think we know and and let Jesus really examine our hearts. We're in a season, I want to keep reminding you, where the Lord has initiated with us the opportunity to sincerely open our hearts to him and say, Lord, search my heart. And, if, and the stuff that's out of order and the stuff that's holding me back, 
I want you to surface it because sometimes we don't even understand it. But he does. So, Lord, surface that for me so that I can repent and be renewed. Because without that, do you know what happens? We can come to Christ. And that is the very start. The start. Some people come to Christ and they think it's the end. It's the start of a process that the Bible calls sanctification, which is what this is, holiness. It's the moment we give Jesus permission to start putting into us the fact that we are chosen, treasured, and created to be a holy priesthood. So why do our hearts grow dull? Why, you know, why do, does our enthusiasm wane? Why are our minds so often filled more with doubts and unbelief than joy to step out and into something because we know unless God does something, it's not going to happen. Where's the joy? Where's the sense of expectation? You know what I'm saying? Now, I know you can't live in that place like 24-7, but joy is actually not an emotion. Joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? Meaning that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, which, you know, wherever you are on this pathway that God's marked out for you because he is transforming you and me to be holy, no matter where you're at in that, and there can be painful lows and wonderful highs, wherever you're at, there's joy because you know the intimacy is growing. The sense of communing with God is growing. You're knowing more and more each day that unless you have Jesus, nothing else satisfies. Is that you? You remember the word from... From last Sunday, the word to the church at Ephesus. What, what did Jesus say? You've left your first love. Remember that? It was only seven days ago. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. And even I'm standing here this morning, and I know that for some of you, you're still, you're still not quite grasping what's going on at the moment. And you haven't bothered to sign up for the daily Bible reading, so you're missing a whole lot of stuff there. And I just want to say to you, why? 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 When the word goes out... You know, the hungry respond. The dull question it, critique it, go, mm, whatever. Because it's a matter of the heart and we just don't get it. Half of us don't even realize where our heart is at. So Wayne says, well, what have you, in all the years, you know, ministering to people... Well, here it is, you know, if you want Jesus, he's going to come in and bowl your life over. 
If you want something else and you're hoping Jesus is going to get you that something else, it's going to be tough. Did you hear that? Jesus is not a means to my satisfaction and my joy and my everything, my end, what I want. He's not the means to that. He is the end. He is that high and lofty reward. He is my inheritance. And what's more, I am his inheritance. How dare you live your life the way you want to? Because if that's what you're doing, I'm not sure that you've met Jesus. Because he changes everything. We've been singing wonderful songs this morning about being a bride, a lovesick bride. You know, just can't wait till he returns. Is there enough evidence to convict us? Should we be singing those songs? You see, victory begins with the name of Jesus on our, on our lips. The day you confessed his lordship, there was a change of citizenship, praise God. <laughs> but it will not be consummated until the nature of Jesus is in our hearts. And that's the process of sanctification. So if you've given your life to Christ, from the moment you did that, Jesus has been committed to you as someone with weak love, immature faith, whatever, whatever, dark but lovely, you know, the song of songs. He's committed to you. He's committed to you. But some of us, some of us have significant struggle believing that. And I want to say to you, why is that? Why? As Wayne said, we, we act out of what we believe. We act out of what we believe. Look at your life and say, well, no, no, no. Don't you say, Holy Spirit, look at my life. Show me what I believe. Show me where the lies are. When we grow tired, when we grow distracted, discouraged, and our, and, and then, then our priorities start to slip and everything, you know, there's a, there's disorder and there's a dullness and the darkness can creep in very subtly. And then we find very subtly we're looking to other things to, to give us that sense of meaning and identity and to feel good, you know, because I should feel joyful. I should just feel good about everything. So if I'm not finding that in church or in the word, I need to find it where it is. That's a lie. That is a lie. How's that going for you, by the way? Well, and if you haven't discovered yet, I'll tell you, in a few years you will. I've lived long on the journey. What does it mean that the pure in heart shall see God? You're saying, where'd that come from? <laughs> Holiness. The pure in heart shall see God. Now, does that mean I'm going to like have, whoa, visions every morning? I see God. What do you think? Seeing God means. Got any ideas? It's another one of those ones. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I've quoted that. I've seen that, read that quite a few times. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. The pure in heart shall see God. I want to suggest to you, it's actually about wisdom. 
right? The pure in heart are able to discern the wisdom of God and have his perspective in all situations. Is that good? Yes. That's exactly what it means. When Daniel, in in chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, he's been crying out for... (laughs) Wisdom, he wants to know the dream that God's given to the king, otherwise they're all going to die. And God gives it. He says to his friends, pray, God's going to give us this. And in his exaltation afterwards, he says, um, he says, Daniel 2, 21, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. That's a very odd way to put something. It strikes me every time. I Wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. I would think the foolish need wisdom, right? And the unknowledgeable certainly need knowledge. But no, wisdom comes to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. The pure in heart shall see God. You see, there's a pathway that he wants us to walk on. Right. These scriptures are describing the posture of a person's heart. A heart that is submitted to God, yielded to his word, that means obedient. They're humble and contrite in spirit. They genuinely tremble at his word. That means they allow God's word to judge them and fiercely resist the voice of the tempter. See, the humble in heart do that. When God comes up to those strongholds in our lives, you know, those areas that he's committed to change and to bring down. The enemy gets afraid and stuff gets stirred up. And unless we are resolved to be obedient to what the word says in that moment, right? I'm going to go with the voice that sounds like a lawyer. Sounds like someone defending me in a court of law. No, you don't need to worry about that. That's rubbish. Look at everybody else. Before you know it, you've talked yourself out of the fact that God has just pinpointed something. Jesus has just drawn near, drawn a big circle around that. And instead of... Yielding to the voice of God, you're now defending the stronghold. You're joining in with the chorus of demonic ideas and lies and thoughts and going, yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me. And the stronghold stands firm. When the Holy Spirit shows us an area that needs repentance, we have to overcome the instinct to defend ourselves. See, the humble heart The contrite spirit that trembles at his word does not defend the sin in our lives. Doesn't defend. But that's actually often, so often what we do. And that's the core, that's the root of rebellion, can I just say. Whenever someone is rebelling, they're acting out of lies in their heads and it will for sure go back to this issue of identity. It's a reaction against the accusation that you are worthless. And we go, no, I'm not. Whatever the accusation is, rebellion manifests in response to that lie that's 
festering down here in the darkness. And the lasso, if you like, has been, it's reached you and it's pulled you in. Those are the strongholds that Jesus is saying, let me come into that place. Let me come into that place. Don't hide that thing. That thing you feel most ashamed of. That thing that you feel is going to threaten all of your relationships. Nobody's going to like you. If they see the real you, they'll go. You know, all that stuff that we carry with us from a young age. Jesus is saying, let me into that place. And he'll use all kinds of triggers as an adult. (laughs) He'll use all kinds of triggers, all kinds of ways to get into that place. If he hasn't been able to have access there by then, he'll just come straight out and show you. Or he'll bring a situation into your life that like a domino goes right down to that. And he'll say, there's the taproot. And right there we have an opportunity to go, "Mm, not today. No, 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 no. Or we can humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Yes, I said humble. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Humble. Humble ourselves. Listen, do you want to be revived? Yes. Do you want to be full of joy? Yes. Then humble yourself Own your sin. Own your weakness. Because Jesus is able to save completely. And when you believe that, when you believe it, you can let your guard down. But if you think you've got a guard, who you are, don't let anyone see and just go along with life as normal. And I don't want people to know that I'm full of anxiety because, you know, Christians aren't supposed to be full of anxiety. I don't want people to know what I do in my bedroom when the door's shut. Never. I don't want people to know how I handle my taxes. I don't want people to know whether I'm tithing or not. Do you see all these things that we try to keep secret? Because we're trying to project an image that is choking us of the life of Jesus. You know, strongholds can be positive and negative. We can have a, we can have a really great stronghold. You know, the, script, the scriptures say that Jesus is our stronghold, isn't he? He's our refuge. He's our shelter and the rock, the cleft in the rock. Oh, marvelous. What would it like? What would it feel like to have a stronghold in Jesus? Well, I thought about this for myself and it just came so quickly and easily because it's just the way it is. And one of those positive strongholds for me is faith that God will provide. And I grew up in a missionary home and my parents were constantly We were trusting God for provision every quarter because whatever was given, that's what was divvied up between the missionaries in all these different places. It was overseas missionary fellowship. And my parents had faith 
that God would provide because they saw him provide again and again and again. And for me, growing up watching that, it's just, it's just, I just know he's, he's never not going to provide. You can equally have a stronghold, a stronghold, and the lie is you cannot trust God to provide. And that's a stronghold built around lies and intimidation of the enemy. And if you have that stronghold, how's that going to impact your giving? If you are giving, you're going to be nervous about it. And you can always say to yourself, well, if things get tough, I can always take the tithe back. Do you know what I'm talking about? But when you have faith that God will provide... That's a wonderful stronghold. You know what? The enemy can't get in there. But if you are being disobedient because you're protecting a lie and you don't want to do the thing that counters that lie, that's an area of darkness in your life. Anxiety is another one of those things. I just I feel like anxiety is at epidemic proportions in our society. And sadly, it's in the church as well. And where people are being shut down and and actually what they would like to be able to do is being controlled by anxiety. Oh no, I can't. I can't. I'm so I'm I I'm being so squished. My capacity is diminishing because I have so many fears and anxieties. Lord, deliver us. Because that is not this inheritance. But we've accepted it, haven't we? Nothing against, I love doctors. Praise the Lord for doctors. We've got them in our, our church. And I thank God for remedies and ways to help people. But do you know what? I think God's got more for us. Come on. And it's simply about do I believe him or do I not? And how desperate can I be and will he let me become? If I die, I die, Queen Esther said. I've said that to myself at several significant moments in our lives. If I die, I die. That's brilliant. Oh, I only have to die. Oh, that's so liberating. No wonder Queen Esther said that. If I die, I die. So what? I've stepped out. You know how empowering that is? Come on. You need to die this week. Just, just, just pick something. Pick something. That makes you feel like you're going to die if you step into that and you're on the way. (laughs) Hallelujah. Matthew 5, very, very important as I finish here. Verse 25 and 26. Jesus tells this unusual kind of story thing and he goes, at the end he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
That's a bit scary, isn't it? But Jesus is talking about more than avoiding lawsuits here, people. In this story, the adversary is the devil and the judge is God. And Satan, as our adversary, he stands as the accuser of the brethren before God, the judge of all. The truth Christ wants us to see is that when we approach God on the basis of our own righteousness, the adversary, the devil, will always have legal grounds to cast us into prison. So get it straight before you get to that point. Humble yourself, own your stuff, and say, but for the grace of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross, <laughs> yeah, I would be. That's exactly, oh, this is so liberating. From now on, when my husband says, you know what, you don't, you don't listen to me, you're not sensitive enough to say, oh, I thank you. Let's settle this. Hallelujah. Lord, but for the grace, but for the blood. Yes. When my child, you know how they have those amazing moments when out of the mouths of a child, these, these incredible statements come and I want to smack them because they were so disrespectful, except that I'm so bowled over by what they actually said and the wisdom in it. I'm questioning that and I can sit down with my child and say, now listen, you don't speak like that. For that reason, I'm punishing you. But do you know what? Thank you. You know, do you know the Holy Spirit was speaking wisdom through you? Yes, through you. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no liberation in trying to defend our rottenness. Own up to it. Just own up to it. That's who I am. Except for him. And this is who I'm becoming. So the question was, what, what's it, what advice can I give in all my experience with people? Get out from behind that stronghold. No matter what it costs you, get out from behind that. That shame, that sin, whatever it is, guilt, pain, the generational iniquity that has damaged you and your children, get out from behind it. You come into the presence of God with your head raised high. He is your defender. He is your shield. He said you're chosen, treasured, and yes, even you, you're going to be holy. And when the enemy comes along and says all this stuff, don't capitulate to pride and start defending yourself. Just say, Lord Jesus... Whatever in that is true, I thank you that you are, you are performing a work in me I could never do myself. That I am saved. I am out. My citizenship has changed. And to God be the glory forever and ever. I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to sit in dull, lifeless complacency. You know, like, ugh, I'm not even happy with myself. I want to be joyful. I want to be full of faith. I want to be strong in him. Because when people see that strength, when they see the love of God, they go, wow, how did she get there? Be willing and resolved 
to die to your will and to say, Jesus, whatever is in your word, that's what I'm going to uphold. And I don't care if it means that I'm going to be alone or or think that I'm alone, because you never are. It doesn't matter. Jesus, you're the passion of my life. I owe you everything. I got nothing. Whatever joy I think this world can give me, give me, it's nothing compared to the infinite joy of knowing you and living forever in your presence. Yes? Amen. You feel better already, don't you? Yes, well, you should. You should. Because that's why he came. To bring deliverance and healing and wholeness. And if you're like, I feel like I'm so far from that. Don't be discouraged. Just lift your head up. Say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, show me. Show me where the lies are robbing from me those crafty little foxes running around in my vineyard i'm tired of them jesus come and help me song of songs i didn't just make that up that's out of the bible oh that's the journey he wants us to go on ah it's like whew if jesus can get us to that point he can do anything but he wants us to offer offer that to him And actually believe his word. Believe it. Believe it. You can have abundant life. John 15. In fact, that's what Jesus said. That's my will. You abide in me. You'll be fruitful. Actually, you'll be extremely fruitful. You'll have abundant life. That's my will. So what's robbing you this morning? Come on. What is robbing you? What is robbing you of joy? What is robbing you from using the gifts God's given you? What is robbing you of giving a little more of your time? What is robbing you? What robs you from intimacy with him? What's robbing you of closeness with others? What are the fears and the anxieties they're always in your mind. Come on. You're, you were chosen for much more than this. And it's a question of whether you're going to call the enemy out and trust Jesus. Or you're just going to go, I don't know. I think I'll just bury the bit I've got, you know, because we know how that story ends. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's all I can say. He's standing at the door of your heart again. If anyone opens to me, I'll go in. We will have sweet fellowship. You let me into your heart. You let me into your life. Oh, yeah, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble for your slave drivers. And there's going to be liberation for you. Let's stand together. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I want to say right now, you give Jesus authority 
you give him permission to say whatever he wants to say. And every demon, every lie that exalts itself above the knowledge of God right now in Jesus' name will be quiet because the Holy Spirit's going to speak. Just close your eyes and pray this. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can. But pray this with me. Heavenly Father, there are areas in my life. Now you just name them. Name those habitual sins. Areas that I have not fully surrendered to you, Lord. Forgive me of my compromise. I ask for courage to approach the pulling down of strongholds without reluctance or willful deception in my heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I bind the demonic influences that have been reinforcing this compromise and the sin within me. I submit myself right now to the spirit of truth, your spirit, to expose the strongholds of sin within me. And I remind myself, Jesus, that you said, I will know truth and the truth will set me free. So Holy Spirit, right now, speak. It might be a word of conviction. It might be a word of hope and identity. But Holy Spirit, every one of us in this room wants to hear you speak. Speak, Lord. Whatever he shows you, make a response. Don't be silent. Thank you, Lord, that I am chosen, I am treasured, and you are transforming my life to be holy as you are holy. By the grace of God, I commit myself to follow through until the ruins of the strongholds of my life that have been a defense to the accuser of my soul until they are removed, uprooted, torn down so that your words, your life, your transforming power can be at work in me. I yield to you, Lord, this morning. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. church with the spirit of the fear of the Lord that we would walk in holiness 
We need, we need you, Holy Spirit. We need a spirit of the fear of the Lord. A spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you and to climb the high mountains with you. Free. Free to love. Free. All for your glory, Jesus. All for your glory.